So last week, we sort of explored this idea out of the book of James that talked about what life would look like if we became doers, like instead of just mere listeners and hearers of God's word, but if we became obedient to what God's word was calling us to do. And I kind of put out there that I believe that most of us, myself included, are are really about listening and hearing to God's word. Like we come here on Sunday mornings, we nod along, mildly entertained, kind of a little bit convicted. We walk out the doors and nothing really alters or changes in our life. And, and we live mostly as listeners and hearers. And, and occasionally we move that into doing if it fits within my paradigm, my understanding, and kind of what feels comfortable for me. And most of us live in those categories of our spiritual life. We hear and we listen to God's word, both revealed and proclaimed um, and written. And we're moved to the point where we're convicted only as much as it kind of fits within my paradigm of comfort. Then once things get outside my paradigm of comfort, then all of a sudden my obedience level drops significantly. And we talked a lot about what it might mean if I live sort of followers, proclaimers, um, listeners and hearers that did what so we explored that picture. And, and I kind of began to really think about it drives my life. Like I'm very much a person that responds to God's word when it's convenient. But when the change and conviction and difficulty is there, my obedience level sort of seems to, to drop. And we explored, as we explored James, what we learned was this, that James says that when we, that when we just kind of do that, we deceive ourselves. We live in deception on some level. And therefore, we're on some level living a lie. Are we cutting in and out again? It's high-tech stuff that we live with. So uh, when we do that, I almost said Michael Turner now, and then I thought that's <laughs> I thought that can't come out right. The good news is that Mike wasn't on, so we didn't record that part. That's awesome. Um, thank you, Mike, for turning me on. Okay, so... That way everybody that's listening at home, right? So all one of you. Okay, so here's the thing. So I thought that if, if this is my life, my picture of, of obedience really is surrounded by what's comfortable, and I really pay attention to James, and James says that if we're mere listeners, just hearers, and we're not living and doing God's word, that our lives are somewhat a lie. He tells us that we're deceiving ourselves. And we explored how the, and the fact that if we just listen to God's word, we just hear it, and it doesn't affect how we live, then somehow we're living in deception. We're living a lie on some level. And that really kind of moved me to a place of thinking about living in truth and living in a lie. Now, I have a daughter who's in the sixth grade. Actually, she just completed her venture in the sixth grade. Now, I don't know if you remember middle school, but I remember middle school pretty vividly. It was only a couple of years ago, right? Just not too long. I rem- but I remember it vividly. I remember the sixth grade, and I remember what a crazy mess that time is. And maybe kind of a, things going on emotionally and otherwise in your life and things happening. But for the first time, what I really think begins to happen in middle school is you begin to be confronted with the, a world that's full of lies. And, and what I mean by that is this. Is the world begins to define for you untruths. Untruth about what beauty is. Untruth about what success is. Untruth about what your identity is. And for the first time, you're kind of confronted with the lies of the world. And as I told Haley, I said, you know, the reality of our Christian lives of following Christ is that for some level, from this point on, for the rest of your life, it's a giant mental battle of trying to believe the truth about who Jesus says you are and how he defines things in your life over and against what the world wants you to believe. On some level, it's a microcosm of what will happen as followers of Christ for all of us. That most of us live in this tension of trying to truly believe who Jesus says I am 
and how he defines things in my life like beauty and success and identity and what the world wants to tell me those things are and what the world wants to tell me I am. And as, as I thought about the things that she's battling and dealing with and how they're so similar to the things in my own life, I was reminded of a passage I taught through in James 3 several years ago when we were walking through the book of James. And I want to explore it this morning because it takes this idea of living truth and lie one step further by exploring it through the lens of wisdom. So we're going to be in the book of James chapter 3, but that's kind of the overarching principle is this, this idea that we're called to live in truth, right, that Jesus defines for us and says who we are versus this sort of lie that's spoken by the world and by the enemy and, and, and which one really captivates our life. And the answer might not be as easy as you think it is. So James chapter 3, if you've got it, go ahead and get there. We're going to be in verse 13, I think is where we'll start. 13 through, we'll just go down there through the uh, end of the chapter maybe. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here today. I thank you that your word, Father, is true and it is not always easy for me to hear. Lord, the truth is, is that when we encounter your word, God, we encounter you. And so, Father, this morning when we encounter you, I know that as, as I look at this passage, I know that you've spoke conviction even into my own heart, the things that I struggle with. Lord, uh, it's just a microcosm of what's happening in me. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, we read this together this morning, what we'd all be convicted of with this morning is maybe something you're doing in our hearts. And instead of letting that conviction just sit there and uh, that challenge just sit there, God, I pray that it would penetrate our hearts, that it might penetrate the way that we live, that we wouldn't be just mere hearers and listeners to your word, but it would move us to obedient life change. That, God, we want to live in truth. And Father, we, we deeply believe, or I deeply believe, that we are all kind of stuck in the middle of this place where we're, we're wrestling mentally always with believing truth about you and how you define us and how you define the things in our life and the lie that the world wants us to believe. And Lord, sometimes those lines are so blurry. And so God, I pray for clarity this morning that we might see the difference between true wisdom and the lie and actually make a change in our life to, to follow truth. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask God to, to move in you, to speak to your heart, to teach you something maybe fresh. Maybe it's not even new. Maybe it's just fresh. Just whisper that. Ask the Lord to teach you this morning. God, we pray that you would um, open your word to our hearts. God, we know that we can't open your word and learn anything. You reveal truth. And so, God, we pray that you would teach us. God, we turn this time over to you. We ask you to be glorified in everything that we do. As you sit there, just take a moment and pray for someone next to you. Just pray that God would move in them. Be in the habit of praying for other people. Lord, we love you. We ask that you would teach our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So without giving you a big background of the book of James, the, the entire book is really about kind of joining this idea of who and what I believe about Jesus to how I live. The whole book is really about that. What I, how I take what I believe to, and know about Jesus and how does it pour out through, through what I live. And I'll tell you a bit more about that in a moment. But let's look at James chapter 3 verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? <clears throat> Let him show it by his good life, by his deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So from the very onset, what we're going to see is James is going to attribute this idea of living falsity or living a lie and living truth to the notion of wisdom. And the whole book, James's kind of connotation about life is really how we take what we know and believe to be true about Jesus and let it pour out through our life. He talks about it in terms of action and deeds and movement. But really it's saying, God, if I believe that you are who you say you are, Jesus, if you really are Lord of my life, then it is going to have to pour out in the way that I live. And it doesn't just kind of move there in, in that sort of cerebral place. It actually takes movement and action. And, and he talks about it in terms of wisdom. And we see from the onset that there's really two kinds of wisdom. He says there's wisdom, and then there's wisdom in quotes. His rival probably puts in quotes there, kind of, kind of juxtaposing those two things together. So there's true, authentic, real wisdom that comes from heaven. And he goes through a whole list that we'll talk about in a minute. Peace, loving, and pure, submissive, considerate, you know, full of mercy and good fruit. And then there is this other wisdom in quotes that's false wisdom, that comes from the enemy, that's earthly, that's rooted in selfish ambition and envy and leads to all kinds of deceit and all kinds of evil practice. So you've got wisdom that's rooted in humility that's from heaven and you have wisdom in quotes that's false wisdom, that's earthly, that's from the enemy, that's a lie. All right, And really just kind of setting this up, the the kind of idea of false wisdom is a little bit uh, misleading because... By definition, there is no such thing as false wisdom. Really, it's, it's wisdom, and then if it's not wisdom, it's untruth. It's, it's not true. So true wisdom is from God. It's authentic. It's real. False wisdom is from the enemy. Therefore, it's a lie. So you have truth, wisdom, and you have false wisdom or the lie. And the, really the challenge this morning is, is which one are we going to buy into and live? Are we going to buy into this truth, this authenticity, this real wisdom? Or are we going to buy into this false wisdom and live a lie, kind of? kind of jumping from where we were last week. So there's really two things. We'll talk about both of them. We'll talk about this false wisdom, and we're going to talk about this wisdom from the the Lord. There's really two markers that we see in James that sort of define this idea of false wisdom or define this lie, right? The first one that we see is this idea of envy. So two main markers that sort of define this. There's envy, and then he says there's selfish ambition. So envy is kind of interesting because it's not what you and I might normally think envy is. Most of the time when we think about envy, what do we think about? Jealousy, right? You have something and I want that. Therefore, I'm envious of that. So so so-and-so got a new car. He got a new job at work or, you know, whatever it is. And and I want that. I'm envious of that. You know, our neighbors, they just put in a pool or they just did whatever. And I want that. We think that envy really is about me just wanting something that somebody else has. Sometimes it's really small, like when you were a kid, somebody's got a toy and you want that. And then sometimes it grows. Somebody has a husband and you want that or whatever. You know, like it just, it, it's exponentially different or you want their life or whatever that is. Envy really is, is sort of, we, we kind of equate it with that picture. But I really think that envy is a little bit different than that. I, I don't think it's so much as I want what somebody else has. I think envy, the root of envy, and the real definition of envy is a lack of contentment satisfaction and joy in my own life. So I am not content, I am not joyful, and I have no satisfaction in what I have and in my own life, and therefore that causes me to look outward. So when I can't say I love this thing that I have, my life, my stuff, my, that I have I've found joy and satisfaction in where I am, then I begin to look at the people around me, and I begin to look at their lives, and I begin to think that 
That's when I have the what if questions, right? What if I just have this, then that would fix this. If I could just get, you know, this raise, or if we could just do this one thing, or if we could just pull this together, then it would fix this. And we begin to think about envy, or that envy really becomes a lack of contentment and joy and satisfaction in my own life. And the idea is, if I can just have that thing that you have, or that piece to your life that I don't have, then my life will be a little bit more complete. This idea of false wisdom, this this lie that the world promotes, is not really about what you can get or what you wish you had that somebody else had. It's more about this lack of joy and satisfaction and contentment inside of me. So envy actually is about you. It's not about what everybody else has. See, we tend to look at the world and think that everybody else has. But really, it begins with my lack of contentment in here. And so... The root of this idea of envy is that we don't have joy and satisfaction and contentment in our own lives. And so we begin to look outward. All right, so so hang on to that for a minute. So that's the first kind of building block. The second building block of this lie, this false wisdom, this untruth that the world promotes and wants you to believe is selfish ambition. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of ambition that sort of drives you at work. Like, I want to get ahead or, or, you know, I'm at school and so I'm going to study, 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 study. That's not really what I'm talking about. The idea of ambition here is actually a little bit misleading. It's really more about promotion. So really it's about promoting and elevating myself. It's not that ambition, that drive, that work ethic. It's really self-promotion. It's about living a me-driven, me-centered life, saying this whole thing around me is really about me, right? And I, this kind of building blocks for this false wisdom, this lie is about envy. I'm not content, satisfied, and find joy in my own life. And so I'm about promoting myself, elevating myself to compensate for that lack of contentment. Now, I've said this a thousand times, I'm going to say it again, but really social media fuels this fire, right? Facebook, Instagram, all those things, they fuel this fire, this self-promotion tool, right? Because we look at those feeds and what we see are pictures of everybody's life, right? And in comparison to our life, their life looks way better, right? Because they post pictures of the trip to the Caribbean or Disney or all these kind of things or their kids asleep on the front porch with a face still painted from the small town carnival they were at, right? And you're just going, I wanted to go to that carnival. I want my kid to sleep on the front porch. You know, that is showing the picture of the vomit in the car and it's in your hair and the kid that fought you there and took his pants off at the park or whatever. Like, they don't show those pictures. They show the baby asleep in the mom's lap and our life is wonderful. And so what do we do? Instead of realizing that the root of our struggle is really about our lack of contentment and joy, we join in the self-promotion tool, right, not to make other people feel bad, but to make ourselves feel better. And if we're really super honest, any of you that are really engaged in social media and you really want to be super honest, right, there's probably been a time in your life where you felt like deleting your account because of how it made you feel. I mean, no one ever likes to say that out loud, but it's true. Now, why is that? Is social media the culprit? Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong inherently with social media. What's wrong is with us. What's wrong is that we've bought into a cultural lie that is fueled by an envy that says, I'm not content with my own life and what you have given me, Lord. And therefore, I look outward and I want what they have because it will fill the void in me. And when I see that void in me, what I do is I produce a false image of myself, a self-promotion so that other people will think I'm not the disaster that I really am. This is the lie, the cycle, the cycle of lies that the world wants us to kind of buy into. And so instead of admitting and realizing our struggles in this and this, we join that band of kind of self-promotion to not make the world feel bad, to make ourselves feel better. 
Because if you scroll through your newsfeed, right, your life looks incredible. You're like, this is, I'm, because that's what we put out there. It doesn't just happen with social media. We do it with our friends all the time. We do it with the stories we tell. We do it with the, the way that we engage people. It's, it's not a, it's a massive over, overgeneralization to say it's a social media thing. It's really just a microcosm of our lives, but that's where it's most visible. So we've got this picture, all right? We've got this picture of this sort of false wisdom, this lie, envy, lack of contentment, joy, satisfaction in my own life, self-promotion, selfish ambition, me-centered, me-driven life that says, look at me because it compensates for my lack of joy and satisfaction in my life. But James says something really interesting in that first part of 13. Because here's the thing. There's a big difference in knowing the lie and living the lie, right? We all are going to have these moments of selfishness, of envy, of jealousy, of struggle. We're we're sinful people. We're all going to have them. But there's a difference in having the moments and letting those moments have you. So look at what James says. James says this. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So if you harbor, listen to this word, is really, really important. Because we are going to have moments of envy and selfish ambition. They are part of your life because you are a broken, sinful person and so am I. But James kind of qualifies it by saying this. If you harbor envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Now think about harbor for a minute. Now, I know this term because I watch a lot of Deadliest Catch on TV. And a harbor is that safe place that a ship goes, right, to offload, to reload, to stock things up, to wait out bad seas. It's a place of safety, right? A harbor is a place that a ship pulls into to refuel, to re-kind of group, to offload, and to find safety in seas that are rough. Think about how that equates to the thought process that goes on in our life. Look, we're going to have fleeting moments of frustration, of selfish ambition, of envy, of all those things. But when we give those things harbor in our hearts and our lives, it leads to tragedy. And that harbor really comes in the form of, of a thought process that we begin to run with. So sure, we have those fleeting moments saying, I don't like this about my life. And when we allow that thought to become more than a fleeting thought, we capture it and we begin to run with it. What if I, this happened? Or what if I could do this? Or what if my husband or my wife just did this? Or what if my life looked like this? And then things could be different and we ch- let that thing be kind of chased down the line and we begin to think about it and dwell on it and dream up a life scenario that involves it. We give it harbor in our hearts. We're going to have thoughts. The mental battle that I mentioned earlier is really about saying, do I believe who Jesus says I am and how he defines things in my life, or am I believing and living and giving harbor to the lies of the enemy? See, most of us, we give harbor to those lies. We begin to think about them. We begin to believe them. We all have fleeting moments in our life when we look in the mirror and we say, I hate what I see. I don't like the way I look physically. Sometimes I can look right through my skin and I don't like what I look on the inside. We all have those moments. The difference is, when I begin to harbor those thoughts, when it begins to be all of what consumes me, when I begin to think through, if I just did this, it would change how people see me. And we begin to think, I'm ugly, I'm terrible, I'm this. We begin to believe a lie and not the truth of who Jesus says you are in terms of identity. We're going to have moments where we just go, I can't stand this. But it's about seizing those moments and saying, this doesn't define me because Jesus actually says something very different about me. He calls me beloved and he calls me beautiful. He calls me redeemed and saved that I don't have to believe this lie. And most of us struggle right at that place of giving harbor to those thoughts. So we've got this idea of false wisdom, which really is about living a lie, which is rooted in envy, right? I'm not content, satisfied, or joyful in my own life. Built on self-promotion then to fill that void. 
And when we begin to give harbor to those things, we begin to let them root in our life. And listen to what James says the the result is. And we're going to actually talk more about this in a moment. The result, verse 16, for where you have envy, right, where you have envy and selfish ambition, into verse 16, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. So when we allow envy and selfish ambitions of promotion, self-elevation, to have the enemy to have safe harbor in our hearts, we find disorder, chaos, restlessness, peace, a lack of peace, worry, anxiety, right? And we find evil practice. Are those definitions of things in your life? Well, most of us would not say yes, but if we're real honest, most likely those things are evidenced in our life. That I have a lot of worry, anxiety, fear, frustration, you know, restlessness, peacelessness, all those, peacelessness isn't even in word, but we have it, right? Because it's a result of living that lie. So what does true wisdom look like? Let's jump to that one. Because James actually gives the, the opposite definition. And on some level, true wisdom is the opposite of what we just read. But listen to the characteristics he, put, he puts with it. But wisdom, verse 17, that comes from heaven, right, that is of the Lord, is first of all purer than peace-loving, considerate, uh, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of those things. But think about how those are juxtaposed against the idea of lack of contentment, joy, satisfaction in my life, and self-promotion, self-elevation, me-driven, me-centered life. This whole thing is about me. If I could just figure me out, then it would all be better. Listen to what true wisdom is rooted in, right? It's first of all pure. On any level, true wisdom is pure. And what is pure? Well, it's truth. Scripture always equates equates purity with truth. So if wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all true, right? It's peace-loving, not just like world peace-loving, but like it loves peace. Most of us, the thing, if I gave you one word to define your life, it would not be peace, right? It really wouldn't. I mean, I've never met anyone that would say that my heart, what defines me is peace. What defines me at times is restlessness. What defines me at times is anxiety, fear worry, right? Some of those words, but peace, like a heart that just, now I have moments of peace, but does that define my life? Truly living in that wisdom that comes from heaven is is peace loving. Like, I love that. I want to live there because I want to believe truth and believing truth about who you are leads to peace. It does not lead to anxiety and worry and selfishness. Look, it's peace loving, right? It's considerate, meaning it just thinks about other people first, it's the opposite of self-promotion, selfless ambition, right? We talk about this all the time. It's considerate like the wisdom says, this is not about me. Even though I don't want to do this, I don't want to be here, it's not in my best interest. I want what's right for you first. And it's not about meeting in the middle. It's about saying, I truly want what's best for people. It's about loving people well. It's considerate. It's submissive. Now, it's not. Submissive isn't about being passive. These are believers that James is writing to. He's not writing to people way out there in the world that have never met Christ. He's writing to believers, and submission first means to Jesus. It's what we talked about last week. It's about saying yes in obedience to Christ. Like true wisdom says, Jesus, you are first, and you get my life, and I submit to you. Wisdom, true wisdom that comes from heaven is submissive. It says, Jesus, it's not about me. It's denial of myself. It's about you. I submit to what you want, even if that's uncomfortable. It's that part of me that says, I want to be obedient to God's word, even when it doesn't fit into my paradigms, even when it doesn't fit into my comfort. Like, God, I want what you want, right? It's that picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, please. But not my will, but what your will is. So it's, it's submissive. 
It's full of mercy. The idea about that true wisdom is that it kind of exudes that grace that was lavished on you. I mean, we are so great at receiving grace and so horrible as followers of Christ about giving it. Part of a a life that's full of mercy says that, that I want to be an example of lavished grace, the same grace that was lavished on me. Like if Jesus loves me enough to cover me in grace and to redeem me and change my life, like I am called to reflect that to the world. True wisdom says I want to be so full of grace that the judgment is gone. I mean, if you've ever really spent a lot of time around people that aren't believers, that that aren't Christ followers, the things that they say about Christians are this, right? They're hypocritical and they're judgmental, always. And you know what? Those people are typically right. As believers, as followers of Christ, we've received grace and we don't live lives that exude it, right? So we're called to be full of mercy, full of mercy and good fruit. The idea of good fruit is just simply this. It's not about doing good things, but it's about living in response to the way that Jesus has treated and loved us. So good works, as James will tell you all through his book, are only a reflection of what Christ has already done in me. So if I'm redeemed, saved as a follower of Christ, my life should look differently. I should bear different fruit. It's not about doing things to earn God's favor or God's love, but the good works pour out of me because Jesus has redeemed me. True wisdom lives in a way that says, my life is a reflection, Christ, of what you've done for me. It's impartial and it's sincere, meaning this, it's just and it's authentic. So if you were to look at your life and you were to say, what are the markers of my life? The things that I believe, okay, so the true things that I believe, what are the markers? Are they really these things? Are they really peace-loving and pure, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere? Or are the markers of my life anxiety and fear and frustration and worry and lack of contentment? Now, not one of us sitting in this room would say out loud that 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 second one is really what defines us. But ask yourself in in your deep heart of hearts, what defines you? Are the markers in your life those things that kind of tell you that you've bought into the lie? Or are they things that tell you that you are living in that true, authentic wisdom? Let's look real quickly and we'll wrap this up with the two byproducts. Because there's byproducts of living both of these things, all right? So the byproducts of living in the first, or living in the, in the first is this. We talked about it just a second earlier. That when we do this, right, when we have envy and selfish ambition, they find two things, disorder and every evil practice. The byproduct of living in that true wisdom comes in verse 18. Peacemakers who sow peace and harvest righteousness. So one, right, disorder and chaos and every evil practice. The other, we have a a kind of a harvest of righteousness and peace. So it's not easy, it's not hard, excuse me, to see which one of these is sort of the call for us as followers of Christ. And really what I sit with as I look at this is, what's the hallmark of my life? Like, not what everybody else sees, but truly what's going on inside of me. Is it marked with disorder? I mean, is your life disordered? Is your mind disordered? Do you feel like you're just sort of one step always away from having this thing together? Do you feel like that if you just had one more piece to the puzzle, then it would work out? If you could just do this, have that, or if you just had this relationship, just found this person, then it would come together. If I could just get this job, get paid more, pay this one bill, if we could just get our hands on this. The reality is that's disorder because it's, it's lived in anxiety and fear and struggle and a lack of contentment and joy and satisfaction in my life. And it leads me to promote myself so that I feel better about the lie that I'm living. Or is what defines your life righteousness and peace? 
Like righteousness is not your own, but that gives glory to God, right? Because that's really what the picture of righteousness is in Scripture. Not me being righteous, but that God exchanged my sinful brokenness. We talked about this in that last series. Exchanged my sinful brokenness and clothed me with his righteousness. So I am now clothed in what was made for Christ. That righteousness and peace. And peace really isn't about being like, it's not about being passive and not fighting. Peace is about rest, spiritual rest. It's about saying, I love my life because of what Christ has given me. So what defines and what are the markers of your life? If it's that first, those first things, and you've given a harbor to that envy and that self, selfish ambition, self-promotion, self-elevation, my challenge is for you to push those ships out to sea. Like kick the enemy out of your life. Do not let him root and have safe harbor in there. Pursue a life that's defined by true wisdom or truth. So what is it? Which do you live? Are you living and believing this lie? Or have you bought into the truth of who God says you are? And as I told my daughter, your whole life is wrapped up in that tension. Am I going to believe who Jesus says I am and how he defines things in my life? Or am I going to buy into the lie that the world is selling me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you.